So, we know uh, there's a, a lot of interest and in, uh, medical research into sleep uh, these days. And I was speaking to a, a professor of sleep the other day. And uh, he sees this uh, one of the major problems of modern urban culture is that we are sleep deprived. I think many people say, oh, I can get by on four or five hours sleep. But according to him, uh, that is not true, that we nearly, you know, everybody needs a minimum of seven hours sleep. And uh, he was telling me that sleep deprivation uh, prevents our immune system from, re from being renewed. It slows, if you're recovering from an illness, Lack of sleep will slow down the recovery. It increases risk from chronic illness. And as we all know, it, uh, it interferes with your cognitive ability. You don't remember things so well and you can't organize your thoughts so clearly. And uh, it also makes you physically more clumsy. So you bump into people or you fall down the stairs. So, we need physical rest. And what happens in sleep is uh, very mysterious and, and very necessary. We all know the danger of uh, coming to a, uh, a decision uh, when you're feeling very agitated, uh, emotional about it. And sometimes the best advice is sleep on it. And in the morning you're much more able to make a balanced judgment. So what is true of the body is also true in the other dimensions of our humanity. The psychological and the spiritual. And it's these three dimensions which we cannot separate but which are distinct and have their own laws 
It's these three dimensions which uh, really form the heart of the, the, the biblical and the Christian understanding of the human. The, uh, the uh, biblical and uh, Christian understanding of the human. And uh, so these three dimensions make us a human being. Not a human doing. And as a human being, living this wholeness and harmony of our uh, different dimensions, as a being, as a human being, we manifest the being itself, the being who is God. There's a Saint Irenaeus said that the glory of God is the human being fully alive. So we don't we, we, we don't glorify God by building great churches or by ha having lots of uh, religious worship. Having, having religious worship. But we, we, uh, we, we worship God by being fully alive. Because in this way, God communicates, gives himself to the world. So this is a, a way, I think, for us to understand the, the, the journey that we're making. We emerge from the being of God. We can't see our moment of creation. Just as we can't see the moment of our conception or the moment of our birth. But we know we have come from somewhere. And in the in the religious view of or the biblical view of life, we come from the being of God. And what becomes visible from the being of God is existence. The word existence means to stand outside. 
So we, as, as human beings, we are also existential uh, creatures. And in our existential ex existence, we, uh, we suffer. We have doubts. We make mistakes. And generally speaking, we are very human. If somebody makes a mistake, uh, we, we often say uh, to them, well, you're, you're only human. Actually, it's, it's really what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. You're saying that they're just human beings. Yeah. So, uh, don't, don't, don't move that. <laughs> don't, don't move that camera because we, we moved it today. <laughs> yes. So, um, <coughs> so we are human human beings who are also existential. Então, somos seres humanos que também são, somos existenciais. And this is the tension uh, and the friction of, of life. Essa é a tensão e a fricção da vida. But we are on a journey. Nós estamos em uma caminhada. From being. Do ser. To being. Para o ser. We are on our, this mysterious journey back to our source of, of being. And on this journey that we are making, we are, we are also, we are uh, in, in human existence, in, hu in existential terms. We are also able to taste the experience of being. We are able to know more and more the being from which we came. And that is the meaning of contemplation. We have a capacity for contemplation. It is, it is built into our operating system. And uh, we see it very clearly in children. And this you often surprises both parents and teachers. You know, who spend their time telling the children to sit down and be quiet. But, uh, and then they, they are amazed that if you tell a child how to be still, 
Então, quando você fala a criança como ser quieta, How to be quiet. Como, como ficar silenciosa, then they will be able to sit in meditation for an extended period of time very happily and delightfully. So we have a responsibility to teach children to meditate in this crazy world that we have, we have made. Temos responsabilidade de ensinar as crianças a meditar nesse mundo uh, maluco em que vivemos. And no child should leave school today without learning how to meditate. Nenhuma criança deveria deixar a escola hoje em dia sem aprender a meditar. But at the same time, when we teach children to meditate, it is they who teach us. Ao mesmo tempo, quando ensinamos as crianças a meditar, elas ensinam a nós. This, this is this is the dilemma we face at this period in history, I think. Because we, this generation, have become so alienated from this contemplative uh, dimension. We've forgotten that we have this capacity naturally and that children have it. And so very often uh, we teach children ways of being quiet or ways of relaxing which are fall very short of their capacity. So we, we, we teach children ways of relaxing which are much less than their capacity for contemplation. So, it's very important for us to, uh, to try to remember what contemplation means, what rest means. And to realize that it is not the same as relaxation. That's why we can talk about rest in being. That's the secret we have to recover. And it's the secret that the gospel uh, teaches. A few years ago I was in Salvador and I stayed at the monastery there, which is the first monastery founded, Benedictine monastery founded outside of Europe. Outside of Europe? Yes. Far Europe. In 1582. Yeah. And it, it is not a very stressful place. And very restful place. And I was, I was very uh, impressed by the, uh, the flaws of the, of the 
of the rooms in the in the monastery. Estava fiquei impressionado com o piso do mosteiro. And very thick pieces of I suppose Brazilian wood polished for 500 years. Pedaços a blocos de madeira encerados ou polidos ao longo de muitos muitos anos. And uh, I suppose uh, you know 500 years of monks uh, walking across these floors also helped to polish them. 500 anos dos monges indo e vindo nesse piso também ajudaram a And because it's Salvador, they walk slowly. Salvador is And uh, but also it, it was also very clean. So clearly every day I would say because it's a hot and dusty environment, they, they, some, the monks must have a schedule for cleaning the floors. Polishing the floors. So, so many uh, Benedictine monasteries and Buddhist monasteries uh, give a lot of time in the schedule, or regular time in the schedule, to polishing floors. Muitos mosteiros benedictinos ou budistas dedicam muito tempo para para esse trabalho de de polir o chão. And it's a, a work of love. Um trabalho de amor. It's like cleaning the toilets. Now, you could do this work uh, reluctantly and complaining to yourself. Or you could do this work contemplatively. And lovingly. And if you do it contemplatively, that means peacefully and carefully. And you do a good work. I was talking this morning about good work. So good work is what brings out the best in you and produces benefits for others. And the, the essence of good work is full attention. You're fully present to what you're doing and you do it to the best of your ability. And in this, in this sense, your polishing the floors or cleaning the toilets becomes a contemplative practice, a, a way of prayer. Now, in fact, that's true of should be true of everything we do in, in any walk of life. But living in a big city or working in a, a corporate environment uh, with a lot of competition and distraction, it's, uh, it's difficult to to do work in this way. 
It's difficult to do your work without becoming attached to the fruits of the work. And that's why if we meditate, even while living uh, this kind of busy life, we are able to do, we are able to produce good work despite difficult conditions. And in a Zen monastery, for example, they will, they will specifically uh, compare the polishing of the floors to the polishing of your mind. And what makes that connection is, is your state of mind, your motivation, your attention. When I was a novice, and John Main was my novice master, I, I learned this, or at least he, he taught me this. And uh, he once described, uh, I mean, for most of my novitiate, I spent cleaning the house. And uh, he would say, and I, I was very happy doing that. But uh, he would sometimes tell the story of a, of a Zen monastery where the, the monks spend the first five years simply making tea for the rest of the community. And he once described uh, meditation, he, 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 he compared it to polishing a brass table, a brass copper. Metal, a metal table. Okay. And he said, when you, when you, if, if you get a, a table like that, and it's very dirty, you have to start cleaning it with small strokes, small movements like that. So you don't just go like that. Because the the stain or the what do you say the, uh, the 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 rust or something is, uh, is is much deeper. So you have to apply a lot of attention to small areas. And he compared that to the way we say the mantra. With full attention in a in a small focus. But even when the, the floors are polished or the table is restored, it still needs regular cleaning and a daily polish. There's a lot of dust and dirt in the in the air. 
in the same way our minds absorb a lot of a lot of what uh, dust a lot of distraction that's why we meditate every day you might say well I you know, I'm not able to meditate every day I'll just go to a, a, a long retreat and do a lot of meditation once a year but you'll probably find it doesn't last very long it wears off usually by the time you get home so uh, it's, it's just common sense it's just living an ordinary life to, to realize that that we need to dust our minds and polish our minds a little every day and at first it's hard work if the, if the, do if the floors are very uh, dirty or the table is very stained it's, it's going to be hard work at first but it's good work now you might say I don't want to think of meditation as work I'd like to think of meditation as me time my me time because I live such a busy stressful life so I need time just to, for me <laughs> and just to relax I, I don't want to hear about the discipline of meditation I just want to relax and I'd like to play music during my meditation. And I like candles around the room. And I have nice scent. Perfumes. And uh, maybe a glass of wine as well. Yes. <laughs> This is my kind of meditation. I can, I can meditate anywhere, in the bath. So, okay. No one is stopping you. But this is not the wisdom of humanity. So, rest, as we are talking about it is not relaxation of course we need to sleep seven hours a night uh, and we we need to relax the body and the mind and uh, and this means we need variety you know, this is why our timetable this weekend, or the rule of St. Benedict, uh, varies the activities of the day, but in a regular kind of variety. 
visto que o nosso programa e a regra de São Bento varia os momentos do dia, mas com certa regularidade. So we need variety, because if you don't have variety, things become heavy and boring or impossible to survive. Louder. Uh, otherwise, uh, if we have non-stop activity, it, it breaks down our human system. Breaks down the human system. Yeah. Now, in the same way, meditation, <coughs> just as rest is not relaxation, so meditation is not mindfulness. And how are they related? They're related in the same way that preparing for something is different from actually doing it. No. If you, you, you can take a break if you want. Do you want to? You can, you can get half. So, prepare, uh, sorry, uh, preparing for something is, uh, is different from doing it. But if you're preparing a meal, for example, you're working with the food, the ingredients. But then the meal is different. And the, the eating of the meal. So there's clearly a link between preparing and, and, and doing. But we should not forget the difference. Now, mindfulness has, has helped and is helping a lot of people. So I'm not criticizing it. And, uh, but I asked, I was talking with a Buddhist uh, teacher, a very well-known Buddhist teacher, a friend of mine, recently. And I asked him what he thought about mindfulness, you know, the, the, the business of mindfulness today. It's become a, a, a you know, very wide, amazing phenomenon uh, around the world. So why, why has it happened? Because people are realizing that we have lost something. It's something that in the past the spiritual and religious uh, organizations or, 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 or traditions uh, delivered. But generally speaking, uh, the church, for example, is, is not delivering this wisdom that it possesses to meet the needs of the time. 
a Igreja, por exemplo, não está entregando essa sabedoria que as pessoas têm buscado. I've been involved in the teaching meditation for for 30 years or more. And I've always taught it in the church. Even if I teach it in a secular environment, I, I'm still in the church. And to me, to teach meditation is always some way to to witness uh, to my faith, to Christ. Even if I don't use religious language. But, um, and I, I've noticed over, the, over these years uh, an amazing uh, development in the attitude of, of the uh, church leadership to meditation. So now, at our, now we, 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 I hear from our national coordinators that uh, in Argentina, for example, a few days ago, the, the bishops were approaching our community asking us to teach Uh, in the schools or in the parishes. And uh, an Australian Archbishop in Canberra has produced a video called Meditation in the Catholic Tradition. So I think there are more and more examples of leaders in the church who are aware of this need and of the gift of meditation that we have to share. The question is, how much of a priority is it in the minds of the leaders? Pope Francis wrote a, a beautiful letter recently, an exhortation to holiness. And he said, I, I'm not trying to define holiness. I, I want to encourage the, your desire for holiness. And he, he speaks about the holiness of everyday life. And that each saint is a unique person. So we don't become holy by imitating Saint Francis, but by being Saint Leonardo or Saint Lawrence or Santa Anna, Santa Anna. So, and then he says, uh, and he talks about how holiness is lived in, in, in the domestic and working life of people. Ele fala sobre a santidade vivida na, na, na vida doméstica, da, da, na 
vida de trabalho das pessoas. But he says, nevertheless, every every life that wants to be holy must include a time every day for silence, for stillness, for solitude, for interiority. Ele fala que, que toda a vida, a pessoa que deseja a santidade deve incluir na vida diária momentos de silêncio, de, de quietude. So, uh, I think we can say there is a there is a long way to go, but there is a significant uh, change in the in the mentality of, of the of the church uh, towards contemplative uh, prayer. Podemos dizer que ainda há um longo caminho a se percorrer, mas que há uma mudança na mentalidade da igreja em relação à contemplação. But for m most people in the world. Uh, they don't think about coming to a church to learn to meditate. But uh, if they feel the need for something to help them to calm down, to be more peaceful, they may very well go to, uh, and they don't want religion of any kind, So they'll do a mindfulness course. And it often teaches them something they very valuable and something that they, they had forgotten or never known. But my Buddhist friend said, He, was, he had many concerns about mindfulness as a Buddhist. And he said, part of, it, part of that concern was that the practices, the, the, the mindfulness practices, have been extracted from their context. And that context in the Buddhist tradition was that these mindfulness practices were a preparation for meditation. And, uh, but now these, these practices have been Mas agora, essas práticas instrumentalized. foram instrumentalizadas. Ah, yeah. So they are turned into tools for very specific purposes to do with my state of mind or my feelings. Se tornaram ferramentas para lidar com coisas muito específicas do meu estado da minha mente. Now again, these these are not bad uh, motives. But very limited. And there is a another area of concern that he mentioned. If you treat mindfulness in this way, you could teach mindfulness to a sniper in the American army, which is what is happening. 
trata a mindfulness de maneira, você pode ensinar mindfulness para praticadores de elite, que é o que está acontecendo nos Estados Unidos. So you could be a, a mindful sniper. Você pode ser um, um, um atirador de elite com atenção plena. Or a mindful uh, foreign uh, mindful stockbroker, you know, who's only interested in making money. Um operador da bolsa também que usa a mindfulness para ter benefícios. So, and then he, he was also uh, he was also concerned uh, about the way the 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 uh, the claims of the, that are made for mindfulness are presented. Uh, ele também estava preocupado claims uh, uh, people say you know if you, if you it will improve your immune system it will reduce uh, you know solve your depression uh, reduce insomnia restore your hair they, they don't say it restores your hair and so uh, much of the research does suggest a very positive link between your physical and psychological state and medit and the practice of of, of mindfulness but how would you how do you know that you wouldn't actually be have all of those benefits by having seven hours sleep a night. Healthy exercise. Healthy food. And balancing your life. So, these were his, his concerns. And as I say, this is not meant to be a, 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 a sort of a backhanded uh, criticism of mindfulness by any means. I've met, I've met many people who've done mindfulness courses, found them helpful, and then they say, what is the next step? Tenho encontrado muitas pessoas que têm feito né, cursos mindfulness e têm achado muito benefícios nisso e eles se perguntam qual o próximo passo. Is that nice? Yeah. Is this? Okay. So the next step is of course meditation. O próximo passo é a meditação. But is that next step made explicit? So, uh, so what, it, what, what, how do we see the difference between mindfulness and meditation? In mindfulness, we work with attention, people work with attention, but the attention remains on yourself. Na mindfulness, se, se, se trabalha com a atenção, e a atenção fica em si mesmo. 
You may be paying attention to your, your body and your sensations. Or to your or to your relationship to the environment. Or to your thoughts or mental states. But the attention remains self-observing or self-conscious. Now that may be relaxing and de-stressing, reducing stress. But it is not meditation. Because in meditation, the attention comes off ourselves. William James said, reality is where you place your attention. So if the attention remains on ourselves, then we are reality. We are the center of reality. And we have not yet come to the fullness of being. We are still locked into the existential world. But when we take the attention off ourselves, we expand in being. And the, uh, the, the limitations of our consciousness uh, begin to dissolve. We become fully alive. This is why John Lane says, when we meditate, we are not thinking about God, but we are being with God. So, which is easier to do? <coughs> to allow the attention to remain on yourself, where it is usually anyway, or to take the attention off yourself, which may, which may be disturbing for you at first because you're not used to it. So meditation is more difficult than mindfulness. But it is also deeper and more, more, more uh, fulfilling. And, and this is not about marketing. This is about listening to the to the contemplative traditions. And that's why, um, that's why we need to make this distinction. And I, I have friends who teach mindfulness, and they agree with this. This is, this is not very controversial. But I think and it needs to be articulated. 
And those who teach in the church, it's all of us here. We should be able to we should be able to um, see this distinction. I've received a letter uh, recently in London uh, and they said, I hear that they are teaching mindfulness in, in uh, some Catholic schools. And the letter said, is the church so spiritually bankrupt that we have to go out and buy in <laughs> mindfulness? Eu recebi uma carta recentemente em Londres e alguém me dizia que estavam ensinando uh, mindfulness nas, em colégios uh, católicos e, 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 e essa carta dizia, será que a igreja está tão quebrada que precisa uh, comprar uh, esse recurso externo? So I wrote, I, I, I wrote to the Archbishop of Westminster and asked him this question. And he's a patron of our community. And he replied immediately. I don't, I don't think he knew of this happening. And uh, he put me in touch with the bishop who was in charge of schools. Who I visited, and he had read all the material, and, and now we are developing a, a systematic program to introduce meditation into schools. So, another question. Do you need mindfulness in order to meditate? Well, what is mindfulness? Is it the, uh, the, the, the product, the course, the program, which has become so widespread in, in the modern world? Or are there not mind, are there not similar ways of preparing for meditation already in existence in our tradition? But we've forgotten what they were for. So, for example, the Divine Office. I was doing some study of the uh, history of the Divine Office recently because of the, our move to Bonvo and our uh, thinking about how we would do the, uh, the, the, the office and the prayer there. And the study helped me to understand the, 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 the meaning of the office. So it began originally 
Well, I suppose it began with, uh, way back in the in the Jewish tradition. But it became a Christian uh, form of prayer in the desert uh, in the desert uh, communities. And how how was the prayer done then? They, they didn't have plain chant. This was in the fourth century. How 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 is how did they do this? So they did it as a form of lexio. They understood the uh, the psalms or the readings as a way of us receiving the word of God. So the psalms were usually read by one person. And there were significant silences between the different readings. Now, you fast forward to the uh, to, to modern times or to the you know to medieval the middle ages or to modern times. And the divine office is very different from that. There are no silences. Or very short and very few. And the 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 office is seen as a praise offered to God. And that's why it became so beautiful. So moving. It became a work of art to praise God. But the but the the meaning of it shifted. The meaning of it changed. It was no longer a preparation for silent prayer, for meditation. It became an end in itself. So there are many other examples in our own Christian tradition of ways we can prepare for meditation. I mean, we could also uh, we could also borrow some useful uh, exercises from other traditions, like the uh, contemplative walk. Are we doing a contemplative walk? Yes. You have done it. Right. So, I mean, that's uh, probably more of a Buddhist. Uh, although cloisters in medieval monasteries were, uh, were used, still are used sometimes for this kind of walking. So there are many, many creative ways we can prepare for, for meditation. And, and I think our rediscovery of this distinction between ways of preparing for meditation and meditation itself 
Eu acho que, que essa distinção entre as maneiras de preparação da meditação em si mesmo. This is going to this is what will change the form and the appearance of the church. É isso que vai mudar a, a aparência da igreja. The church is not going. If the church is, uh, churches everywhere in the world and here in Brazil too now, uh, are, are worried. Catholic churches here are worried about declining numbers. As igrejas em todo o mundo e aqui também no Brasil, a igreja católica está preocupada com declínio de números de participantes. I read in, in recently in Rio, for the first time, the number of people who identify as Catholics is a minority. Eu li recentemente que no Rio So, crisis. Uma crise. Uh, alarm bells. What? What? Alarm bells. Uh, crisis, anyway. So, what? What? Uh, what is? What bishops say. What are we going to do? How can we get more people back? come back to the church. So we learn from the competition. Well, again, I'm not, I'm not really being competitive in this. Uh, we once had a, a meeting of our, our leadership and uh, it was facilitated by some uh, some friends who uh, as a kind of a what do you call it thought leadership uh, meeting so we, i had to fill out a form uh, about the community and one of the questions was Who is your main competition? So I, th I thought about this. It's a good, 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 interesting question. See, in, in some parts of the world, if you give that to a Catholic uh, bishop, he would say, the Christians. I thought, well, really, we... We don't, I mean, we all have ego, of course, but we don't, we don't, we don't have competition, we don't have competitive, we don't see ourselves in competition. Because if we see someone doing what we are doing better than ourselves, We should learn from them. And if we see somebody wanting to do what we are doing, we can share with them whatever knowledge or experience we have. So, Uh, so this is not about competition. And I think the gospel 
works by attraction, not by marketing. The gospel works by attracting people. Not by marketing. So this is why uh, I think uh, Rodano said today, uh, if you come late for meditation, the meditation has already started. Then, would you please meditate outside? That's not to punish you. It, it's, uh, you know, if you come in five minutes late, or I think this morning somebody came in 20 minutes late. What, what does that do? It creates a disturbance. So this is not like Sunday Mass. If you come five minutes or 20 minutes late for Sunday Mass, you're not actually physically disturbing the quality of prayer. Well, yeah, well, maybe you are. Okay, maybe you are. But not, not in the same way. Okay, well, you are. But, uh, but, it, but in a, with a group of people who are meditating, it's the silence and the stillness of this group that is sacred. The silence is sacred. The stillness is the stillness of God. And to just physically to disturb that is, well, lacking in courtesy. And spiritual sensitivity. So that's why uh, Rodano came to remind me just before lunch. He said, "If if you don't come now, you you, you won't be able, We won't let you inside." Quite right. So. Now that's a small example, but it, it may give us a clue to a very important development in the life of the church. As the church becomes more contemplative. And not only in terms of when we sit in meditation, but even the way we celebrate the Mass or the other forms of worship. Okay. So what I've been saying really is, is uh, not, so, not so unusual. The rest is the, sorry, relaxation is not the same as rest. We need rest. So we need relaxation. 
But we are made for rest. We are made for this experience of contemplation. Because this is how we return to our source, return to being. And in, and in terms of, of, of practice, uh, in the same way, mindfulness is not the same as meditation. Yes, we need to prepare the mind and the body for prayer. And for meditation. But there's a there is a there is an important distinction and difference between those two those two things. Mas há uma distinção importante entre essas duas coisas. 